This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Andrew Rockers talks about Heavenly Fathers, and in particular, why we call God Father, and how we can look to St. Joseph as a model for fatherhood. Father Andrew is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, George Tolman. Father Andrew Rockers, and he will be talking to us about the fatherhood of God and of St. Joseph. Father Andrew Rockers was ordained a priest for the Salina Diocese, May 30th, 2015. Father Rockers, how are you doing? Doing well, George. How are you? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. Again, folks, Father Father Andrew's talk is on the fatherhood of God and of St. Joseph. Father Andrew, my first question to you. Let's talk about the fatherhood of God. So what do we mean when we call God Father? Yeah, thanks, George. So just to give a quick uh, outline here, uh, we'll talk about the fatherhood of God, and then we'll talk about human fatherhood, and then we'll see where St. Joseph uh, fits into that kind of reality. And just two quick prefaces as well. The, the thrust of this kind of talk and, and discussion is not about being a father. It's not about whether your vocation is to be a father. Um, any men listening that are fathers or who think they might be fathers one day will get, you know, will get something out of it that might help them in that future vocation. But this talk really is geared towards everybody. It's about relating to a father. And so that is something that applies to every single person listening because we all either have or had uh, a human father. And then another just quick preface is whenever we talk about God, we, we have to use human language. It's the only way that we can talk about anything. But our human language is always going to be limited, uh, and it's never going to be able to completely exhaust the mystery of God. So as we talk about what does it mean to call God Father, we all have a, a human concept of what fatherhood is, and that does reveal you know, something true about God as Father. But the fatherhood of God infinitely transcends you know, our human understanding of what it means to be a father. So those are just a couple quick prefaces. But when we talk about the fatherhood of God, we can talk about it on two levels, on the level of creation um, and the fact that we're created uh, in the image and likeness of God, that we we have this resemblance to God in how he created us. And, And there's a sense in which God is the father of all of humanity uh, as the creator and the Catechism kind of talks about this in in two main ways, that God is the first origin of everything that exists, right? He's the creator and he's the transcendent authority. Uh, And then secondly, but he also uh, kind of reveals this goodness and this love that he has for his creation. Uh, So that's kind of on the level of human nature and and just the fact that we're created in God's image and likeness. Uh, Even back in the Old Testament, there was this realization that God is our Father. But Jesus reveals that this truth of God's fatherhood actually goes far beyond the level of creation or the level of nature. What Jesus reveals is that God is a father, not just in relation to creation, but even more so God is a father within the mystery of the Trinity. That that God is three divine persons, the origin of which is, is God the Father. God the Father is is the origin, even within the life of the Trinity. All three persons of the Trinity are equally co-eternal, so it's not like a temporal succession. But God the Father is is still kind of the source 
the Son is generated from the Father, and then the, the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. So Jesus reveals that God is Father in an even more profound way, that within the life of the Trinity itself, there is fatherhood in God from all eternity, and that through our baptism, by being incorporated and united uh, with Christ, we come to have this relationship with God the Father in a far more profound way. We, we become his children by adoption uh, in a supernatural sense. And through the gift of sanctifying grace, we share in the divine life of God, and we are truly made members of the family of God and invited to share in this inner life of the Trinity and to relate to God as Father um, in a way that infinitely transcends, you know, creation and human nature, but shares in the divine sonship uh, of God the Son. So those are different ways in which different aspects of, of what it means to call God Father. Father Andrew, so with what you just said, does this mean that God is male? Right, good question. Uh, and no, it does not. And, and this is one of the ways in which our human language or our human concepts need to be purified and need to be elevated. So the Catechism talks about this in, in paragraph 370 and says, in no way is God in man's image. So we are created in God's image and likeness, but God is not in our image. So it doesn't go both ways. Uh, and the Catechism goes on to, to just clarify that, you know, God is neither man nor woman. He's neither male nor female. God does not have sex or sexuality or a sexual nature because God is a pure spirit, right? God does not have a body. And being male or female, being man or woman is proper to being a bodily uh, creature, uh, having a biological sex. Uh, and so this also would, would not apply to the angels. The angels are not male or female. So no, even though uh, we call God Father and, and Jesus reveals that this is the proper and best way to refer to God and to relate to God, we're not saying that God is male, right? God is neither male nor female. He doesn't have a body. Uh, he is pure spirit. So that's one way in which our, our concept of fatherhood in our human experience is always intrinsically and necessarily connected with masculinity. But we don't want to project that onto God because that's a, an aspect of having a body. Um, so no, even though we call God Father, God is not male nor female. Yeah, and so I'll, I'll kind of leave it at that. And so, so if okay. God, is, God is not male, is it okay to call God Mother? Right. So, so this is another kind of thing that comes up sometimes, and I, I want to kind of, you know, try to address it with, you know, compassion, because there are certain theologians that, that do talk about this. There are certain people out there listening that maybe have, feel like they got something out of trying to relate to God in this way, um, but also we need to, you know, speak the truth and speak the Catholic faith. And no, we do not call God mother in the Catholic faith, in the Catholic tradition. It's nowhere found in Scripture. It's not in the teachings of the Church, because Mary is our mother, right? We, we, we receive a mother in the Blessed Virgin, but we do not call God mother. We do not, that's not a title, or that's not a way that we pray. And this gets to kind of a, a fundamental distinction, and, and I want to try to help people understand why this matters, 
Um, and it gets into kind of some theology of the body, uh, some of the teachings of John Paul II. And it can get a little heady, but I'll, I'll try to do my best to kind of make it simple for everybody. But uh, a first real simple reason that we could give for why we don't call God mother is because Jesus didn't call God mother, right? And he is the model. He is the teacher. He is our Lord. And so we have to, we have to submit to what Jesus revealed. And so that would be one very simple reason why in the Catholic Christian tradition uh, we call God Father, not Mother. But it also gets to what it means to be created in the image of God as male and female. So that same paragraph in the Catechism uh, talks about how the respective perfections of man and woman reflect something of the infinite perfection of God. Right? So we can say that God has maternal perfections, right? things that we associate more with motherhood. And the, even the image of motherhood is used uh, occasionally in the Old Testament to, to refer to God. He's not called a mother, but this kind of maternal characteristic. So the fact that God is tender and compassionate, he's forgiving, he's nurturing, he you know, holds us in the palm of his hand. He's close to his creation. These are things that can, in our human kind of experience and in our human language, can be seen as more maternal. And so God does have these, what the catechism calls masculine and feminine perfections. Because as men and women, we're created in the image and likeness of God. And we believe that there's a real distinction between the male and female kind of identity. And both of them reflect something of God's nature, neither of them perfectly or exhaustively. So there are aspects of being a man that reflect something of the nature of God that isn't reflected in being a woman, and vice versa. So it goes both ways. But when it comes to whether or not we would refer to God as father and mother, there is kind of an essential and important distinction. And so when we think about how God created us as male and female, and the purpose of that is, is for the procreative and unitive one flesh union, right, going all the way back to the book of Genesis. And when a man and woman, you know, come together as husband and wife in order to bring about new life, they, they each play a necessary but distinct role in that union and in that bringing about of new life. And in that complementarity, the male is the kind of the active or the origin right, of the seed. The man is the one who generates the seed, and, and the seed is received by the woman. And the woman then nurtures and, and you know, enables that seed to, to be received and, and to become a new life. So there's a, there's a distinction there in that male-female role. And so when we think about God, God as Father, God is, again, we talked about creation. God is the origin. He is the source. He's the originator. Uh, even within the life of the Trinity, God the Father is the one from whom the Son is ge generated, right? The, the Father is not generated by the Son. The Son is generated by the Father. And so this distinct role of the male-female, even though God is not male-female, that masculine perfection 
uh, is more properly attributed to God as, as Father, as Creator, as Origin, as Source, as the originator of the gift. And so God is not, He does not fulfill that role of Mother, right? The, the Mother is the one who receives the gift, right? And then reciprocates it, but, but first receives it. But God is not receptive when it, in relation to creation, right? We, we say that God is, is pure existence and pure being and the source of everything that is. So God doesn't receive anything from creation. He, he is the one who gives and creates uh, from nothing. And so this might seem, you know, super kind of theological to, to some people and, and maybe uh, it doesn't speak to them in terms of their, you know, their devotional life and things like that. But what we believe about God, you know, influences how we pray. And so uh, the church has always restricted referring to God as Father. Um, And there are some important theological reasons for that. And it's also going to then affect, you know, uh, our own relationship with him. So hopefully that made some sense to the listeners. I know it can get a little bit kind of heady at, at points when we talk about some of those distinctions between male and female and how that does and does not apply to God. But the gist of it is that, you know, we call God Father uh, because that's what Jesus revealed, because he's the origin, he's the creator, the originator, the source, the active principle. But in the Catholic Christian tradition, uh, we do not call God Mother, although we do say that God has maternal characteristics that, that can be very consoling and encouraging for us. But Mary is our mother. She's the one that we we look to for that motherly role in God's plan for our salvation. So Father Andrew, let's 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 go ahead and move just a little bit into human fatherhood. And so my my the question I'll pose to you now is what role do human fathers play in representing God the Father? Yeah. So we want to, what we'll do is we'll look at, you know, kind of God's original design or plan and then kind of see how, how that has been affected uh, by the reality of the fall. And also just to point out that in, in God's design for the, for the human family, both parents would represent the love of God, right? That both parents as male and female would represent, again, in a limited way, it, it can't be represented completely because God's mystery cannot be exhausted. But both parents would represent as male and female those, those perfections of God that are reflected in the fact that we're created as male and female. So both parents have a role to play in reflecting and representing God to the children. But based upon what we had previously said, that God is, is more, more perfectly identified as Father in God's plan, the Father of the family would have a unique role to play in representing the fatherhood of God, so that the children, in coming to experience the love of their Father, uh, would be able in, to learn from that the love of God the Father. And again, mothers uh, do that as well, but fathers and mothers love differently. Uh, they love in unique ways. And so in a unique way, uh, the human father is meant to represent and reflect uh, the love of God the Father for his children. So he, he's kind of God's representative in the home. Um, 
And so that was, was what uh, God intended in creating the human family, that it would be kind of a, an icon of the divine family. Um, John Paul II, again, in uh, his Theology of the Body, uh, develops this, that the, the human family, the father, the mother, and the child, uh, reflect an image, uh, the divine trinity, that the, in the divine trinity, uh, the father loves the son and, and gives himself entirely to the son in that gift of love, and the son receives that gift and reciprocates it with his own gift of self, and that love between the father and the son is so perfect uh, and so personal that it results in a third divine person. And so the Holy Spirit is that personal love between the Father and the Son. Well, this is reflected and imaged in a, in a finite way, in a limited way, in the human family, that the father, uh, the husband, loves his wife and gives himself to her, a complete gift of self in marriage, and the wife receives that gift and reciprocates uh, her own love. And that love between husband and wife is meant to be so uh, personal, so complete, that it results in a third person, right? And so the child is the fruit of the love of the husband and the wife. So we can see how the human family is meant to image and reflect and represent the divine family. And in that plan of God, the human father is there as the representative of God the Father. Father Andrew, do any human fathers do this perfectly in terms of representing God the Father? Well, unfortunately, I think we all know the answer to that, uh, and that is no. And to a large extent, even before the fall, no human would have been able to perfectly represent God the Father. We also know the reality, and, and the Catechism speaks about this as well, that because of the fall in a, in a special way, because sin entered the world, all human fathers are affected and wounded by sin, both original sin uh, and their own personal sins. And that affects and clouds their ability to represent God the Father. And so we've all experienced this. We've all lived this. And, and this is an important part of our own kind of faith journey, our own healing journey, is for us to kind of be honest with ourselves that we all have experienced human fathers not perfectly representing the love of God the Father. And it's important to, to point out as we kind of get into this aspect of the talk that this is not meant to be a judgment. We're not uh, judging anybody, uh, but at the same time we're acknowledging the reality that all human fathers are, are fallen, right? are wounded very often due to their own relationships with their father. And this can be something that's generational and gets passed down from father to son. But because of original sin, because of the fall, because of the, you know, the, the wounds that were introduced there, and, and because of our own personal sins, all human fathers fall short of God's original desire and plan that they would be kind of a, a shining light. Uh, a, you could almost think of it as like a window that the, the children would look at their human father and, and see through, as if through a window, you know, they would see something of the love of God the Father. But because of sin, that window, you know, has gotten dirty. Uh, and that's true of, of every human father since Adam, you know, fell. And so, no, we need to 
have the, you know, the honesty and, and the, the charity and, and just the, the courage uh, to acknowledge that, that we've all been affected by this, that, that our human fathers did not perfectly fulfill the role that God gave them to be a representative of him. We shouldn't hold any of us to the standard of perfection, right? Fathers that are listening should not hold themselves to a standard of being perfect because they're not going to be. But also, this is part of the compassion that we're called to have to our own human fathers in acknowledging whatever shortcomings there might have been uh, to do so with compassion, recognizing that we shouldn't expect our parents to be perfect, that that's an unrealistic expectation uh, and is really a lie that, that we should not believe. We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. We'll be right back with more about Heavenly Fathers, God and St. Joseph with Father Andrew Rockers. We're back on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture on Divine Mercy Radio. Heavenly Fathers, God and St. Joseph. With Father Andrew Rockers. George Toman conducts the interview. Talking to Father Andrew Rockers. So, so Father, we mentioned a little bit, but I want to zero in on the question. So how does the imperfection of our human fathers affect us? Yeah, and this, this kind of really gets to the heart of the reason for this talk and, and all of us just kind of becoming more in touch with how we've been affected by this so that we can move forward and, and find, you know, freedom and healing. And it affects us in any number of different ways, you know, uh, just on a societal level. You know, I think most of us would agree that there's a real crisis of, of fatherhood in our society, and, and there can be drastic consequences of this. One of the most frequent common denominators when it comes to poverty and crime uh, is the absence of, of a father in the home. Fatherhood is essential and enormously important in, in God's plan. And it's, you know, that, that could be fulfilled if, if somebody, you know, doesn't have a relationship with their father. It can be fulfilled by other men. But we all need, you know, those father figures in our life. And so just on a societal level, you know, that's, that's a real uh, source of, of a lot of problems that we're facing today. But to, to get a little more personal and a little more spiritual, we are all deeply affected, you know, by our relationships with our fathers. We may not always be fully aware of that. And that relationship with our fathers in a, in a particular way is going to have a real impact uh, on our relationship with God. And so we need to be aware of those gaps and those wounds that we might have with regard to our human fathers, because that's affecting our relationship with God. We, we may not be conscious of that, but it is. And so one thing I think to point out is there's a, a wide spectrum of how short our human fathers might have fell. There's a wide spectrum on how big the gap might be. And so just to approach it with, you know, reverence and, and respect for people, you know, we all have, as, I, as we've said, we all have imperfect human fathers. But some of us may look back and, and say, you know, well, yeah, I know my father was imperfect, 
but, but he was really good. He was a really good father, and he loved me, and he provided, and he was there, and he was present, and that's fantastic. And, and that person may not have a whole lot of work to do in this area, but we know, unfortunately, there are people at the other extreme where maybe their father walked out on them and left their mother, you know, left them alone. God forbid maybe somebody was abused by their father, you know, spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, you know, we know even physically that can happen. Maybe somebody's father died when they were young and, and never really had a, a good, you know, never really had a relationship with them. And so there's a, there's a wide spectrum of how much this might affect somebody on, on a personal level. And so everybody has to, for themselves, kind of acknowledge how they were affected. And to give kind of a more extreme example, because I think this just kind of helps bring this to the light, um, if somebody, you know, experienced the horrific kind of trauma of being abused in some way by their father, that's deeply ingrained in their kind of their psyche and, and how they respond to the idea of fatherhood. And so this is where some people can really object and really have a real difficulty with relating to God as father because their experience of human fatherhood is one of abuse. So that would be kind of an extreme example. Or maybe another example would be somebody had a father that was present in the home but perhaps was maybe emotionally distant or didn't really develop uh, an intimate relationship uh, with, with his children. And so somebody's going to have that experience of fatherhood, and whether they realize it or not, some of that's going to be projected onto God. And they might think, well, God doesn't really care how I feel. Uh, you know, God isn't really interested in what's going on in my life. Perhaps another example where if a father is kind of very critical, you know, demanding perfection and, and very kind of judgmental, and the child felt like they were never good enough growing up, whether that was, you know, athletics or academics or uh, character or whatever it might have been. If that's somebody's experience of fatherhood, they're going to project that to some extent onto God and to think that God is demanding this unrealistic and unattainable perfection, that God is always criticizing them, that God is always judgmental. So these are just a couple examples, some kind of more extreme than others, but we all have, the point is we all have these experiences where in some way our human father didn't love us in the way that we needed to be loved or that we felt we needed to be loved or there was some imperfection, some lack, some gap in our experiences. And to some extent, all of us are going to, to project that onto God. And that's something that we need to be aware of and acknowledge and then work through and, and strive to find healing and, and come to really believe that, you know, the sins of our fathers, the imperfections of our fathers, the, the, the lack, whatever it might have been, none of that should be projected onto God. Those imperfections, those sins, those don't come from Him. That God as Father is perfect uh, in every way, infinitely so, and that He loves us perfectly, unconditionally, 
that he cares about us uh, more than we could ever possibly imagine. And so we want to be aware of those flaws or imperfections or false ideas that we have of fatherhood and do the hard work of realizing, okay, have I been projecting this onto God? Have I been relating to God as if he were my human father with all of the baggage, with all of the imperfection that that implies? And that's not something we want to project onto God, but we need to be aware to what extent we might be doing it so that we can then find some healing in that regard. And I think that's, that's one area where St. Joseph can be of help to us. Father Andrew, what role is St. Joseph meant to fulfill regarding, you know, towards us, and also maybe fill in some stuff about some other things you said in terms of the fatherhood of St. Joseph? Yeah, so I think we can look at this first by looking at, you know, what was the role that St. Joseph fulfilled towards Jesus? That's going to be the model for us, that, that all of us are called to be incorporated into the life of Christ and, and to, to experience a real participation in the life of Jesus. And something that we can, we can say, and I, and I got this from uh, Father Calloway's excellent book on, on consecration to St. Joseph, and something that I had never read about before, but it, you know, it, it makes perfect sense theologically. When we talked about how in God's design— the human father would represent God the Father. Well, that reality was fulfilled in the most perfect way possible, you know, here on earth, with St. Joseph towards Jesus, that it might strike us as a bit odd at first, but in the Holy Family, right, the Holy Family is the most perfect human family that most perfectly fulfilled that vocation to represent the, the divine family, the Blessed Trinity, I think it was St. Francis de Sales that, that called the Holy Family the earthly trinity. Uh, and again, we're not divinizing Joseph and Mary, but we're just saying that they most perfectly represented and reflected um, what the vocation of every family is, uh, to image the trinity um, in a participated, kind of finite, limited way here on earth. But in that uh, call, in that Holy Family, uh, St. Joseph was the representative of God the Father. And St. Joseph, in his humanity, represented God the Father for Jesus in his humanity. Right? So we always, just to, to refresh real quickly some Christology, right? we believe that Jesus is a divine person, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, and he's a divine person with two natures. He has a a divine nature from all eternity, but in time, he assumed a human nature. And that's what took place at the Incarnation when he became man. And so Jesus has a a complete human nature, identical to ours. He became like us in all things but sin. So he has an unfallen human nature, unaffected by sin, but he has a true human nature. And he experienced and lived a true humanity. And in his humanity, right, he learned similar to how we learn. Now, another just kind of side note, in theology we talk about Jesus having three types of knowledge in his human nature. In his humanity, Jesus had the beatific vision from the first moment of his existence. He also had what we call uh, infused knowledge, knowledge that's directly infused by God into the intellect, 
uh, but he also had what, what we call acquired knowledge, which is kind of ordinary human knowledge that we acquire through experience and, and through life and through learning. Um, so Jesus really acquired human knowledge in a way, in the same way that we do. And so in his humanity, he learned through St. Joseph about God as Father. So he, Jesus has divine knowledge as well. He's got the beatific vision. He has these other sources of knowledge by which he perfectly and infinitely knows God as Father. But in his humanity, uh, he had to acquire that knowledge, or he chose to acquire that knowledge in, a way, in the way that we do. And so that starts in the home, and in a particular way, that starts with one's relationship with the human father. And so Jesus, in his relationship with St. Joseph, in his humanity, learned about God the Father and who God the Father is. And he came to love God the Father in his humanity uh, through the example uh, of St. Joseph. And, and something else to say along these lines, because then this is going to be really important for us. We all know that St. Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus, right? We know that Jesus was conceived in his humanity uh, without a human father. But at the same time, we want to emphasize, and I think this is one of the great gifts that's coming out of the year of St. Joseph, is that St. Joseph was a real father to Jesus, not biological, but a real father, that he adopted him, he, he named him legally, uh, he was his father, but he exercised a real human fatherhood as Jesus was raised in the Holy Family. And that's a real relationship that, that they had. And then this uh, is going to be really important for us, because we all know, again, that, you know, one of the ways that we can look at, you know, God's plan for his creation and our calling as Christians is that we're adopted into God's family, that we're adopted into Jesus's family, that we become incorporated into Christ and united with him. And we all know that because of this, God the Father becomes our father, right? That through our baptism, we're adopted into the divine family in Christ, uh, and God the Father becomes our father in a very real and profound and supernatural uh, way. And that Mary also becomes our mother, right? Because she's the mother of Jesus, when we're united and incorporated into Christ, Mary becomes our mother in a very real way, in a, obviously a spiritual way. She's our spiritual mother, but that that's a real motherhood. And we all know uh, how important that is. One of the things that I think is coming out of this year of St. Joseph is that, well, if Mary becomes our mother, our spiritual mother, then St. Joseph becomes our spiritual father because St. Joseph was really a father to Jesus. Again, not biological, but really, that he really exercised a paternal role in relationship to Jesus. And therefore, he is meant in God's plan to exercise that same role for us. St. Joseph is meant to be a real spiritual father to us. You know, another way that we can kind of think about this, uh, something that, you know, we maybe haven't thought about a whole lot is, you know, we're incorporated into Jesus's family, but Jesus had two families, right? He had a divine family from all eternity, and he had a human family in time. And likewise, uh, Jesus had 
we can say two fathers. Again, God the Father from all eternity. St. Joseph became his real father. Again, not biological. I know I'm kind of beating a dead horse with that, but I just want to make sure nobody misunderstands me. But that St. Joseph was really a father to Jesus. And so Jesus had two fathers in different senses. We're using that word kind of in different ways, but two fathers in, in real ways and one mother. And likewise, when we're incorporated into Christ, right, we share in that same family relationship that Jesus did. We receive an eternal father, and we receive a spiritual mother and a spiritual father. And so I think God wants us to take advantage and to, to benefit from all of those different relationships. And in a, in a particular way, I think St. Joseph can help us in the experience of, of human fatherhood and then how that can help us find healing in our relationship with God the Father. How can this knowledge about St. Joseph and the fatherhood of St. Joseph help us relate to God the Father? Yeah, so I think one way to, to look at it is St. Joseph could be like a bridge. So if, if we're all kind of at that place of acknowledging, maybe for the first time, but acknowledging that there is this gap that we all have in varying degrees of the experience of human fatherhood and that there's something there that needs to be healed. That can be done, you know, in our relationship with our human fathers, if they're still alive, if we still have that relationship. There's a lot of work that could be done there. Maybe that's not possible for us anymore. Maybe our fathers have passed. That doesn't mean that there isn't still some healing that needs to take place. But all of us, I think, can go to St. Joseph and by developing a real relationship with him as our spiritual father, can learn the type of fatherhood that does reflect God the Father. So St. Joseph is human, but the church has very clearly taught in recent times that he is the greatest saint after the Blessed Virgin Mary, that he's the holiest man who ever lived, the, the most virtuous, the closest um, that we have in terms of a human representative of the fatherhood of God, kind of, you know, putting Jesus's humanity off to the side because his humanity would, would even be more perfect, obviously. But, but St. Joseph can reveal to us what type of father God is. You know, St. Joseph being just and chaste and prudent and faithful and humble and courageous, caring about us, having that tenderness, that strength, by developing a real relationship with St. Joseph, I think we can find healing and learn what fatherhood is supposed to look like. And from that, I think we can then find healing and deepen our relationship with God the Father, that there's nothing about the fatherhood of God that needs to be intimidating or fearful uh, or scary. There's nothing that should put us off about it. None of the things that we might project onto him I think St. Joseph can help us uh, learn what fatherhood is supposed to be in God's plan, and from that, we can find healing and, and grow in our relationship with God the Father. And how to do that, I think, would be you know, analogous to how we've developed relationships with Jesus and Mary. It takes place through prayer and spending time together, learning more about St. Joseph, developing a devotional life, uh, asking for his intercession. 
I've mentioned Father Calloway's book, Consecration of St. Joseph. I'm sure that's come up throughout the phonathon, uh, but that is just an excellent place to get started in learning who St. Joseph is and how to have a relationship with him. And I think that could be very powerful, especially in this year of St. Joseph, for all of us to find healing uh, in terms of our relationships with our human fathers and learning what fatherhood is supposed to be and meant to be in God's plan and design. And then that can bring a great healing and a deeper intimacy, a deeper relationship with God as our Father. What's that? How's that phrase go again in Latin? Ete ad Joseph, right? Ete ad Joseph. Ete ad Joseph. Go to Joseph, yes. Well, thank you there, Father, Father Andrew, for very in-depth talk and also keeping it practical for us in seeing some of these, these dots. And Father Andrew, thank you so much for offering your time for us, sharing this great piece of knowledge and also providing your teaching to help us with this. And I have about one minute left here, so if you could, if you have any shout-outs you'd like to give to the listening audience here in the Hayes area, feel free, and if you could end with your blessing for our listening audience. Yeah. Uh, wow, you put me on the spot there a little bit, George. Well, <laughs> I have to mention my parents, obviously, uh, Glenn and Barb Rockers. They still live there in Hayes. Uh, old family friends and friends that I've made over the years, yeah, it's uh, always good to reconnect and, and to see everybody. Through the intercession of St. Joseph, may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit come upon all who are listening today. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to Double-Edged Sword, Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture. Folks, heaven is not seen, but neither are these airwaves. But if you can help support this radio station and help us save souls for heaven, please go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate, where your donation will be seen and appreciated. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 101.7 KJDM, Lindsberg, Salina, 105.7 KMDG Hayes, 88.1 KRTT Great Band, and 88.1 KVDM Hayes. If today you hear his voice, Harden not your hearts.